Welcome to the Becoming Mum podcast. I'm your host, first-time mum-to-be, Nicole Joy, author, teacher, and wellness advocate. And I'm here to support first-time mums, mums-to-be, and mums who want to be throughout their conception, pregnancy, birthing, and parenting journeys. I'm here to remind you that the path we end up taking may not quite match up to how we thought it would look, and that's perfectly okay. Each week, there will be honest and vulnerable chats about anything from supporting yourself through fertility treatments and morning sickness to hypnobirthing and sleep habits. This is your podcast to help support you through one of the most incredible and challenging stages of your life. Thank you for being here. I truly hope it makes a difference. In this episode, I chat to Dr. Nat Kringudis, doctor of Chinese medicine, acupuncturist, author, speaker, and all-round natural fertility expert. She's also the founder of Melbourne Women's Health Clinic, The Pagoda Tree, where her powerful fusion of Western and Chinese medicine has helped thousands of women change the way they think about their health. Nat is also the creator of Yo Nuts and producer of Health Talks TV. And bonus, I get to call her my friend, someone that has been there for me since the start of our fertility journey. Her latest book, Beautiful You, shows you how hormones affect sexuality, physical health and appearance, and mental well-being. Your body is talking. It's time to listen, is Nat's latest take-home message, and it's a reminder to take back our power and know the responsibility to get to know our bodies lies with us, not our doctor. She opens up the discussion on understanding your own body, balancing hormones, and sexual empowerment. Plus, you can learn how to make your hormones happier than a Pharrell Williams song. In this episode, we talk about why quick-fix pills spell disaster for your long-term health, what your acne may be telling you, why periods should not be painful and what to do if they are, why it's so important to be upfront with your children about sex, why we need to teach teens more than just preventing pregnancy, how health conditions that you may be facing now are a direct result of how you have been leading your life so far and what you can do from this point onwards, why it's not all doom and gloom for women with endometriosis and PCOS, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, let's bring on this amazing human, Dr. Nat. Dr. Nat Kringudis, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I am very excited to be here. It's just your book that's just been released, Beautiful You. I was looking through my copy last night and I was doing a little happy dance thinking every woman from puberty right through to menopause, basically if you have a vagina, you need this book. (laughs) Exactly. You know, what's really, really interesting is people have been asking, saying, oh, I really want to buy it for my teen daughter, but do you think I would learn something? And of course, I learned things when I wrote it. And this is my expert field, you know, so we never stop learning. We've got to constantly be open to that. Yeah, that's so true. I was looking through it going, I'm nearly 37 and I didn't know that. Like, what? So, oh my goodness. When I was writing it, I was like, oh, that's what that does. <laughs> Who knew? Oh, I love that. So thank you so much for putting this amazing resource out into the world. And there is so much content in there. Um, and I could talk to you until midnight tonight about it. <laughs> we're just going- Well, let's. <laughs> Let's talk about what you need to learn, yeah, exactly. what you need to talk about. Exactly. Fine. Yes. We'll just, we'll just dive into a couple of different topics today. Um, I love your catch cry, making women's hormones happier than a Pharrell Williams song, because that's pretty happy, right? You've, that's really happy. So, and you talk about in your book that hormones are a life hack. Can you yes. explain, like, why are they so important? Because they're everything. They control everything. And I think for far too long, we have feared them. I think Mm. we think it's just too hard as women. We love to say I'm hormonal. We love that. We're Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm just hormonal. Or our partners love to say to us, um, is it that time of the month? Or, oh man, she's hormonal right now. And actually I find myself saying it about my 10 year old tween. (laughs) Um, and it's very true, but I think we feared it because we haven't understood the fundamentals we've left it up to our doctor to understand Mm. and really trusted in what they tell us that we have to do and it's not that they've got it wrong but I think no one knows you better than you and handing that power over I think is a problem so I think by being able to understand the facts better and really talk about the facts too I think the facts have been hidden for far too long I think that's actually the game changer and 
we all of a sudden realise that our hormones aren't that tricky to understand. Mm, because, uh, yeah, you're so right. We we often just say, oh, that's too hard basket. My doctor told me to do this, so I'm just going to do what he says or she says. And we're handing that responsibility and that power over to them, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, let's be really honest as well. When you go to see your GP, who is generally your first point of call, they've got five minutes for you. Mm. <laughs> and that's not yeah. their fault. That's just the nature of that system. Yeah, They don't, you know, I talk to, I have a lot of friends that are doctors, gynecologists, obstetricians that I work with all the time. And they say to me, you get to actually educate your patients over a period of half an hour or however long it is. We get five minutes. We can't do what you're doing. And it's not really their job either. So mm. I think, yeah, it, it, <laughs> there's a few disconnects that make it a little bit disjointed I think and it's been that way for a long time yeah but really the responsibility lies with us individually to learn what we need to know to just help us understand and take the fear out of that get the facts and make educated and informed choices yeah a hundred percent and so you touched on before that they control hormones control everything what like for somebody that is literally going what do you mean what do they actually control what bodily functions do do, do hormones um have control over <laughs> Yeah, well, what don't they have control over? You know, everything from your sleep to your menstrual cycle, how you're feeling, your emotions, your weight, um, your skin, your digestion, everything so, relies so on various hormones. It's like they're so important and there's so many of them and I'm not saying that we all need to be endocrinologists or gynecologists, but I think we need to understand the main the fundamentals, you know, your main sex hormones, your main stress hormones, your main feel-good hormones and how if you can get that balance right, mm. everything is easier. I love that the, the, the other catchphrase we're promoting with this book is that your body is talking, it's time to listen. Mm. And, you know, and I saw something else, another one of my my mentees had shared um, today, and it's that your period talks to you. Oh, Did you know your period talks? I and I was like, that. oh, I love that. <laughs> yes. and and it does you know we are constantly being served information and it's what we do with that information that really counts most mm. so what is our body telling us what are my signs and symptoms if if our hormones are dictating all of this then what is our body telling us in every moment and how can we use that information to um, allow us to make some choices or to, to d dive a bit deeper and discover what's going on. I think, you know, again, we, we've handed this power over or we've gone, oh, just it's too hard. I can't be mm. bothered. It's too complex. You know, my, everybody else knows better than I do. I know I had a patient yesterday and she'd had some quite um, – quite severe hormone challenges around pregnancy and she was lost she was really lost she said to me I just feel like I have no control over this at all and I said you have all of the control I've just got to get that back I've just mm. got to get you back to believing and owning that again and when she left she's like oh I feel so much better now I have a plan because we talked about it yeah we talked about how you can actually take the reins back again and I think that to me is an absolute game changer when you can say right actually I'm in charge here I'm going to show my hormones who's boss. And when I wrote Beautiful You, I recognised that teenagers didn't really care about their hormones. They didn't. I remember being 16. No. I didn't care less. Because we but weren't what I told about them either. <laughs> well, that's true too. We weren't. But also, if you had have actually said to me, oh, your acne is a result of your hormones, oh, your weight gain actually is mm. a result of your hormones, oh, your bloating, oh, that's actually a result of your hormones, then that would have been a different conversation. And so that's what I've really tried to do with this book is tie it into the symptoms and what they're speaking to you and how then you can get curious around what hormones are responsible for what. And yeah. I think when we piece all that together, that's actually that's, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. Yeah, 100%. And those symptoms, as you say, are trying to tell you something. But so often when we uh, experience those symptoms, whether that be weight gain or acne or digestion problems, we look for that quick fix because that's, you know, we're, we're in that uh, I need to go to the doctor to get the pill mm -hmm. to fix that rather than go, well, what's the root cause? Which is why I just love how your philosophy, you know, it's West uh, meets East and it's Western medicine and Eastern medicine, but it's looking at the root cause. We have to. We have to. And like nobody's right here in the sense of, well, hang on, two things. A, let's just look at the facts. I get very frustrated. And I guess in a, in the world we live in, 
there are so many things that we can do and take to manipulate the way that our body works. And that is fine. There is Mm. nothing wrong with that. But it's not sustainable long term. So if you're going to your doctor because you have endometriosis and you're using the pill, that that might give you the relief that you need to get your head around what to do next. But to just do that and that alone is a disaster. It doesn't fix anything. It can't solve any problems. It doesn't give you a period. You're not menstruating. You're not ovulating. Your hormones aren't doing that dance. Estrogen doesn't get to climb. Progesterone doesn't get to climb. Mm. All of the things that need to happen around that aren't happening. And that long-term is a disaster. So I think just, again, getting curious, what are my options? What can I do now? If I choose to take the pill, how can I support my body through that? What are the other things? And I can't Mm. wait for the day that we go to our doctor and they say, I'm going to prescribe this for you, but we know that the pill severely robs your body of vitamins and minerals. It upsets your microbiome. It really flatlines your hormones, your hormones forget how to work. So I want you to do all of these other things, you know, look at how we can improve digestion, probiotics, prebiotics, all of the things that we can do to support our body whilst we're doing that. That's a very different conversation as well. Yeah, and and it's and it's so true. I love that. It's like, you know, modern medicine is there for a reason. It has its place. Absolutely. Well, I, and I, I went through that, obviously going through IVF, you know, I had that whole big, oh, I'm trying to do all the natural stuff. But once I got my head around the fact that, you know what, I need a little bit of help here. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to support myself just with the lifestyle that I lead naturally, uh, through that. It just made, it made all the difference rather than just go to the doctor, take the injections, take the drugs, do everything they say without knowing what else I could do to support my body. So I guess in you know a, in a teenager going on the pill for the sk- for her skin i was i was that person mm-hmm. i was on the pill since i was oh god i think i think i was i think i it was i was on 13 years straight oh my goodness it's a long time yeah. with mm-hmm. not one break and and i've spoken to girlfriends that are very similar you know 10 to 15 years so for those teenagers that are struggling with the skin because you know a few pimples is different to full-blown acne Uh and I can I I didn't suffer from that myself but I I see teenage girls being a teacher I've seen that it's a horrible time to be having that and going Mm. through that you know through puberty through all the challenges that adolescence throws at us what and what can their parents do rather than just go straight for let's just get her on the pill what things can they do Oh, my goodness. There's so much that we can do before we would use the pill as a treatment. Um, I think, first of all, again, what is my body telling me? In the book, I dive into – acne is a good one, actually, because I do talk a lot about it. Yeah. I talk about – where it occurs on the face, the nature of the acne. So where it occurs or where anything occurs on your body, again, it's speaking to you, it's telling you, it's related back to the root cause. So, for example, if you've got acne along your jawline, that's very much hormonal. But if you have acne around your mouth and cheeks, that's more digestive related. So if we're looking Mm. at the clues that we're being served up again and then we look at the nature of it, is it like cystic or is it? It's gross, but is it pussy? What does it Mm. look like? What's the nature? How is it behaving? And that, again, can tell us more and we can keep on drilling down and then we can actually work out a specific treatment almost that's actually ideal for you rather than the pill or roaccutane, you know, anything that you take that's going to continue to, to, for anyone who's got digestive-related skin problems, Mm -hmm. you go and add the pill to the mix, you go and add roaccutane to the mix, that's only going to further disrupt gut function, which yeah. means that, yeah, okay, you might get some results for the first few months, but the it's like the back end falls out all of a sudden because your body mm. just can't sustain that any longer. And the symptoms come back tenfold. So I think mm. acne is a great example of that and that we can apply to anything, you know, whether it's period pain, ovulation pain, missing periods. There's so many clues in this that allow us to dig deeper and work out a specific treatment protocol and you know there's there's all like you said modern medicine don't get me wrong there can be some amazing additions that you can use and Mm -hmm. again explore your options I mean I had I had a a massive cyst cut out of my face um earlier or later last year and it was really interesting because you know I get natural therapies I've been in this industry for a long time I tried everything Mm -hmm. and when I say everything 
everything and I've had it for years and years. Anyway, when they went in there to cut it out, it was humongous. There was no way on this planet anything that I did was actually going to eradicate that. And, you know, if it hadn't have been on my face, I probably would have left it. I wouldn't have cared less. But the fact that it was on my face prompted me and it was getting bigger and I was like, oh, my Mm -hmm. goodness, soon all of a sudden I'm going to be more cis than I am head, (laughs) 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 you know. So it was really important to me. And anyway, my point is the amount of people that, you know, were trying to help me and and that was amazing. But at the end of the day, there's there's just your way. And then I was able to then come back and apply all the things that um, I could use naturally to help with the recovery and, and to really support that. And, and, you know, I'm happy now. It's gone. It's not coming yeah. back. And I've got minimal scarring. And, again, just one example of yeah. how we can integrate things. But there's, exactly. you know. We've got to be looking not for that quick fix. The quick fix is a disaster in almost all instances. Yeah, and I'm so glad you said that too about you needed to use and rely on modern medicine because I was exactly the same. Obviously, you know my story. It was like I tried all the natural things. We did all of the things and and even when I started to open up about the fact that we were going through IVF or we were thinking about doing IVF. People would say, Oh, go and see this acupuncturist or go and see this herbalist or go and see this person. And it was, I know it was with best intentions, but it's like, guys, that's not, it's not going to work for me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because infertility, of course, is so diverse. So it's not Absolutely. just a have this herb and you'll be on your way. And, um, I, and I think it's a really important conversation to have around, look, if you need to go there, whether it be modern medicine or, um, medication for something in the short term and then you support yourself naturally, then there's nothing wrong with that. Of course. Absolutely. And I think also your testament to the, the fact that when you can't go ever you can never go wrong with supporting your body you mm. can never go wrong with making sure your nutrition your lifestyle is is you know as good as it can be so that if you do need to use assisted conception it's going to work yes. and and you know that's yeah. the thing i think so often we fall into ivf's another excellent example of this i see i see this so often it's almost like oh well it's guaranteed i'm just going to do ivf mm. and as you know it doesn't work like that yeah. and we need to always be putting our best foot forward so whether it's natural fertility ivf whatever it is you still need to put your body in the best position for it to operate to its best ability and when we do that things just work better yeah yeah 100% and we're going to go into that a little bit later on but i want to just um backtrack a little bit you you mentioned you know missing periods periods you know painful periods irregular periods I hear it so often that women just come to expect that. I've got friends that every month they're doubled over on the couch with a hot water bottle mm-hmm. in so much pain and they think it's normal. normal. Can you oh. please shed some light on the fact that periods should not be painful? Periods should not be painful. I was that girl. I was the girl that used to suffer. I remember some standout periods where I was on the bathroom floor alternating between vomiting and passing out because I was in so much pain and pressing my face up against the tiles because they were cold and I was in a feverish state because I was in so much pain. Um, I didn't think about it at the time. I was in my late teens to early 20s when I really had, I was at my worst and I was studying the human body. I wasn't quite yet enrolled in natural therapies but um, I was studying biosciences and and I, I just remember one day I had had enough. I was overweight. I felt awful. My nutrition was terrible. And I grew up in a hippie household where nutrition was paramount and mum really ingrained that in us. And when I moved away from home, I had a, I had a KFC around the corner and that was pretty much lunch every day yeah. um, as well as other things that, you know, I, I mean, I look back now and I, I didn't know. I think it was terrible, but it certainly wasn't good. Mm. Um, and so I one day just decided I wanted to lose weight and that was my motivation as a 20-year-old. And what I, upon reflection looking back, everything got better. My period pain improved, my skin improved. Yes, I lost weight. I just felt good. And, you know, now as someone that can reflect on that, I didn't care about 
so much the other things. I cared about my weight. I cared about how I looked at the time. That was important to me. Mm-hmm. But it does, it's not separate. Nothing is separate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was because I'd changed my nutrition, because I started exercising, and that were probably the two main things that I did at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, my body responded to that. And your body's always responding to whatever you subject it to. But, you know, I think a lot of us live in hope that tomorrow's going to be better but we don't do anything different to change the situation. You know, oh, hopefully this period's better. It's like, well, you haven't done anything different. So how is it going to be better? It's not. For things to change, things have have to to change. That's right. So um, I get what it's like to suffer and I see women all the time now that do. And I think the number one thing, if if your nutrition's not on point, you cannot skimp on this. I had a patient a couple of weeks ago um, say to me, oh, you know that if I eat better and I sleep well and I manage my stress levels, you know, I don't really have period pain. But when I don't do those things, I I definitely have really bad pain. And I just Mm -hmm. looked at her. It was like she wanted me to say, oh, well, you can just do this instead. And I'm like, well, there isn't anything else. You've got to do. Yeah, you have to do it. You've got to do the work. But period pain isn't normal. And if you are doing all the right things and you still have period pain, there's still a reason. It's not like you know, you're not going to get there and go, oh, well, I've tried everything. And, you know, if all of these things are on point and, you know, you've re- you've reduced inflammatory foods because pain at the end of the day is inflammation wherever it's presenting. So we've yeah. got to reduce inflammation in the body on the whole. So if you've, if you've done that, you've removed the inflammatory foods, you've worked on digestive health, you know, you've got, you've got a, a diet that's rich in whole foods, lots of plants, um, you're moving your body, you, you're doing a lot of the right things, then I would bet my last dollar that the reason that this is happening then that there's some emotional element. And the mm. emotional element of health is very difficult, but I do dive deeply into this in the book because it's the hardest and it's the one that we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. It's the one that no one comes to you and says, oh, well, I bet your period pain is because of your childhood trauma. <laughs> yeah. Or I bet your period pain is because at, at 18 years of age you decided that you were X, Y, and Z. No one says yeah. that. No. And so digging into that is really important, but it's really hard. Mm. And so I did. I went there in the book and I love Chinese medicine for this because Chinese medicine will look at your emotions and you can relate that back to what organs might be in disharmony. So, for mm, example, wow. um, excess worry will damage the spleen. Now, in Chinese medicine, we call it the spleen, but if we try and translate that, really translate to the gut or the digestive yeah. system. Mm-hmm. Um, excess anger will affect the liver. Excess sadness affects the lung. So there's, you know, there's all these little clues. So if you have an emotion that's dominant, what is your body telling you mm. and how can we dive into that? And that to me is actually the game changer when it comes to any presentation, but especially period pain. Yeah, wow. Because I, I, I was going to say um, I loved that, you know, the very the, the second chapter in your book was all about mindset, you know, right up there after you've discussed hormones, mm-hmm. you went straight into mindset and I was like, mm-hmm. yes, because, again, relating it back to my journey and I know so many other journeys um, are women on the same journey it wasn't until I got my head right that me going into my IVF journey was and I don't want to um, make anyone else feel bad or anything but my journey with IVF was it was good like it was it was fine it was I don't want to say like completely enjoyable you know getting your egg egg sucked out of your (laughs) vagina through a needle isn't great but you know it overall it was it was a great experience and it was because I changed my mindset before going in and I let go of all the old, you know, shit that I'd been Mm -hmm. carrying on about not being able to do IVF and, you know, we're never going to have kids and all of that. I I had to let all of that go and go into this with a a fresh start. And I 100% believe that's the only reason why why I I went to IVF and it was positive. Absolutely. Our mindset is everything. And when Mm. I see patients come in and if I can instill that in them, whatever we do will work. I can guarantee you that. But I always say to patients, think about that person that you know that is absolutely or has done something that absolutely bat crap crazy, like so crazy, (laughs) but they do it and they they smash it out of the ballpark. Mm. 
It's because they believe they could. Yeah. And so how do we instill that in, in ourselves again? Because I think that's been taken from us. I think somewhere along the line we've been told over and over again that it can't be easy, that it can't be enjoyable and that you can't talk about it. And, you know, it's this disconnect from our community and I think that if we can rely on the community, if we can talk about it, but if we can take the power back and believe mm. with all of our might that it's going to be okay and that you're going to make it happen, that's when you do. Yeah. And I know this, I mean, in my own experience with Geordie and, and you know, for those that don't know my story, my, my son has a genetic condition, um, cystic fibrosis, which technically should have him as a sick, very sick person. Um, he's smashing goals. My mum rang me yesterday. I have quite, a, I've had quite an awful cold and cough over the, you know, what happens? You have your downtime and then you get sick. Yes. And that happens when you don't look after yourself. And I get that too. And it's been a big time with the book and whatever. But, um, but anyway, she says to me, um, so jo I got, I got this from Geordie. Geordie had, he was sick and he was sick for around four days. I've been sick for maybe nearly three weeks. Wow. <laughs> now, technically, he shouldn't be able to recover as well as I should be from this, yet I'm the one that's stressed out, not him. I'm the yeah. one that's not doing the things I should be, not him. So, you know, but my point with him is that I woke up one day and decided that nobody was going to tell me how well or sick my child was going to be, that mm. actually I was going to dictate that. I was going to take the control and I was going to try with all of my might to have him be as healthy as I possibly could mm. and I believed with every part of me that I could yeah. and that's what I did. And, I mean, I don't know what the future holds for him but what I know is that, that seven years in he's doing really well mm. and I, I fully, I fully credit our mindset and attitude towards his condition and his health for that. Yeah, that's amazing. And is... Do do you pass that mindset on to him? Like, does he is he in belief of that? You know, I'm well, I'm healthy, I'm I'm all good too. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, if we have to, we're supposed to do routine visits to the hospital, and we pick and choose those now. We're at a point where, um, much to probably the systems disgust and disbelief and that they're doing the right thing too they're doing exactly what they find works for the majority but yeah. i will not be the majority no um we very much we very much dictate how this goes so my point in telling you this is that he will sometimes say well why do i have to go to the hospital and i'll say well because we want to make sure you're healthy always we want to need to do everything we can to keep you healthy now i know a lot of people's attitude around that would be because you're sick and you need to go because you're sick or you have because you have a condition or you mm. have a problem. Now, I don't choose to see it that way at all. I will not buy into the sickness. I will not buy into the fear. I will not buy into the symptoms. I will not buy in. He's, it's just all we're doing in any moment is optimizing body function, whether it's cystic fibrosis, period pain, infertility, whatever it is. So mm. long as you can maximize your cell's ability to do the work, then you've got it made. And yeah. so that's what we try and do for him. So he's not completely aware. He's more aware than he's ever been. Um, yeah. It's not something we talk about a lot. Um, we just do what we need to do to make sure that everybody in our house maintains um, great health. You know, I say to yeah. him, your sister wears glasses, you need, you need to take digestive enzymes. That's just the way it goes. That's you know? just the way it goes, it's yeah. Just what it is, it's just the facts. And, again, yeah. coming back to the facts, and when we speak to kids about the facts, and you'd know this from teaching, we're more emotionally attached to the fact that, that because we've had an emotional experience around it, more than likely, mm. they haven't yet. So if you're talking about sex or you're talking about cystic fibrosis or whatever it is, if you just present them with the facts, they're really happy with that. Whereas mm. we have this attachment that we need to let go of or we have an emotional experience that we've had, especially when it comes to something like being intimate with somebody and yeah. having sex, but a 10-year-old doesn't have that. They're just like, oh. Okay, well, that makes sense. And they move on. They're not there going, yeah. you know, oh, that's disgusting. That's gross. That's, they're only saying that when we're feeding them that because mm. based on our emotional experience around it. So yeah. presenting the facts every step of the way I think is so important and making sure it's age appropriate. So I feel like we did that with Geordie. Um, yeah. I feel like we've allowed, we've let him lead the conversation 
Mm-hmm. And in terms of exploring that and him knowing what he needs to know, no different to allowing Olivia to do that with her re- reproductive, sexual and hormonal health. I've let her lead that conversation so far and always making yeah. it age appropriate for wherever she's at, but not pretending that some bird comes and delivers a baby on the doorstep. <laughs> or, you know, like let's talk about the facts because I think that's where we yeah. go wrong. I think that's How where damaging is that? Out. Like when we just make it up like that and we don't we don't actually give them the opportunity to understand what really goes on. Well, I think that's what it is. I think it's missing a beautiful opportunity at the time that's completely right for the child. And again, mm-hmm. it has to be age appropriate, but you don't have to go into the gory details. Um, I know that uh, Livia recently had some sex ed classes at school and I was really worried about what they were going to present. Sorry, how old is she again? She's 10. Ten. That's right. So they start in great. There's a new incentive in Victoria where the government is um, going in, and it's, she's she's the first year level to go through of this new um, education. But it's actually really great. They've done an amazing job with it. Awesome. Um, but yeah, what was really interesting was that it was so age appropriate, and so I mean, we've talked about it before. She's asked, you know, how how do you have a baby, mum? And I would say, well, I've got eggs in me, and you've got eggs in you, and and you know, you need those eggs to make the baby, and it was always very age appropriate. But this was probably an intense, you know, um, hour where they got to learn more about their reproductive organs and yeah. about, and it was very much about also what's okay and what's not. So what belongs to you is yours and nobody else should be touching it or looking at it unless mm. you give them permission and if that only if that feels right and it was excellent. But my point is they really just talked about the, the female reproductive organs as what they did. You know, each month an egg's released. When that happens, it's there ready to be fertilised. If there's sperm and if there's not sperm, then what happens is you get a, a, what's called a period and the lining comes away and then the process is repeated. That's all they need to know when they're 10. Yeah. But we don't tell them that. We're like, oh, how are babies made? I don't know. Go and ask your father. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, oh, we'll waste. You know, we make up all sorts of stories. A stork comes and delivers it or it gets put in mm. mummy's tummy or whatever that yeah. is. And I think it's a beautiful opportunity. And, and you don't want to turn around. I don't know if your parents ever lied to you. Mine never did. But my husband's parents talk, sorry, my husband talks about how his parents lied to him about things all the time that weren't serious lies. They were, they were funny. You know, mm. that they told him one day that on the way here that the boat that they came on, the ship sunk and they all had to be taken to shore. Now that never happened, but Chris remembers that vividly and has yeah. taken that with him forever. And when he found out, he said, I remember telling kids that this is what happened and it wasn't true. And when the kids found out it wasn't true, I was the one one that was made out to be a liar and and I got teased for that and I'm like that's awful yeah <laughs> um and I guess we're more educated we're very lucky we're very we're, we're living in a time where we are really educated but how damaging is not giving the facts I think it's more about when the facts are actually found out that mm. you've been lied to that that's not I that's not that's not building a trusting relationship and we want trusting relationship with our mm. youths we really do. And what I found out by writing when I was writing this book is that this current generation of, of um, teens are actually the most responsible, the most educated, the most socially conscious. They are amazing teenagers, yet we're constantly telling them that they're this, that and the other. And by doing that, we are almost enrolling them into doing the exact opposite than what they innately are and so Mm. we just need to nurture them and continue to do that whether you're an auntie or a mother or whoever you are to a loved one Mm. just don't you don't need to hide the facts just nurture it's always about nurturing what we have and I think if we can do that they I mean it's it's going to change the face of our hormone health for sure no, that's beautiful. And and I loved how you said it is a beautiful opportunity, particularly to speak to the girls about their period, because as you get older, you're taught that it's this inconvenience and mm. it's this horrible time of the month. And and I, I, I want to know, do you have any advice or uh, any rituals around like when it is that time of the month? Because so many people just push through as if it's not happening and they don't give their body the time and the rest that they need. I know that I slow down and I take it easy and I'll I'll have a chocolate if I want to, but I know a lot of people just slam through it. Some people skip their periods. Obviously, you have the ability to do that with contraception. Um, how, how different should sort of our self-care be around that time of the month? 
Thank you for asking this question because I think there's two aspects that I want to touch on. Firstly, it weighs in really heavy when a young woman starts to transition through puberty. It's a really, really hard time. And I think the the conversation actually needs to be had with young boys or men as well. Mm. When boys transition through puberty, it's kind of funny. It's kind of fun. It's like your voice changes and cracks a bit. Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing. Um, You know, you might have wet dreams and erections. And I remember as a young woman overhearing a conversation my parents were having with family friends about their boys that were going through puberty and the mother just said, oh, I just tell him to go to his room and sort himself out. And and they all laughed about it, right? It was just this funny conversation. When girls start to menstruate, it's not a funny conversation. It's Mm. not fun. And it becomes very serious very quickly because we're more concerned about our teens falling pregnant than we are about them understanding their bodies. And so there's this very quick spiral where girls might, you know, um, sure, we don't want, if if it's not a wanted thing, a pregnancy in teens, we don't want that. We're not saying that we're not being irresponsible here. We're actually the opposite. By teaching girls to understand the ebbs and flows of their menstrual cycle is an absolute mm. gift and game changer. And if we're covering that up and masking that, that's a disaster long-term for our health and both our physical and emotional health, I, yeah. I feel. So when it comes to menstruating and our menstrual cycles, really being able to watch each and every month what our body's telling us around that, I think that is the biggest gift that we can give mm. and in understanding that and really really drilling down and looking into that and then also as a consolation prize we we can also work out then when we're fertile and when we're not so that if we do need to prevent pregnancy we can understand when that window is and what we can do around that so that we don't fall pregnant and I think that's very important sorry keep going well, I think you're right. We're all taught that you can fall pregnant at any minute of the day. Yeah, any, that's what I was going to say. Part of the menstrual cycle, which is ridiculous. Yeah, and, have sex and, and you're going to have a baby, basically. Right, exactly. And you know what, Nicole? If only it was that easy, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, and we spend, <laughs> Tell me about it. We spend half of our life trying to not fall pregnant, and so many women turn around and they go, "Well, if I hadn't known this, and I'm having trouble having a baby, I've spent half my life worrying about something that, as it stands, I can't even do right now." So, you know, mm. I think again. We must understand our bodies. We must be having really gentle, lovely conversations around it, not fearing it and mm. not thinking you can fall pregnant in any any minute of the day. That's such a naive approach to yeah. our, our, our health as women. So, you know, I want young girls to understand their menstrual cycles for the benefit of contraception and one-day conception, definitely. Yeah. And if we're not doing that, I think it's a total disservice and... And then, you know, once we can understand this, it's an absolute game changer. And if you are suffering um, each and every month, again, what is your body telling you? And do you do do you just need to take some time out? You know, I get women to, first of all, when you can understand that when you're approaching your period that you might feel a different way to what you do when you're ovulating, you can actually either do one of two things. You can lean into it. But if it's a time where maybe you've got stuff on and you can't lean into it, then how do you scaffold around that so that you Mm. can kind of almost support your body so that 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 period of time isn't awful? And so, you know, there's a lot you can do. And I talk about this in depth in the book as well. You know, do you have an important, important event on and it just so happens to be the same day your period arrives? What can you do? How can you take some, um, how can you um, gear your nutrition at this time? How can you take some appropriate supplements? How can you make sure that you're getting enough sleep that you'll, you know, how can you do the really do the right things so that you can actually then get through that important event or whatever it might be yeah um and it is it's about leaning in and it's about understanding what's going on and coming back again to that age-old symptoms are your best friend to work out what that's going to be and it's going to be different for everybody but the other thing I'd ask as well and look I, I know we don't want teen pregnancies Women or mothers will say to me, oh, it's really irresponsible for you to suggest that my 16-year-old who's sexually active shouldn't be on the pill. And we have to have the conversation about STDs because that is a massive factor. And if your daughter is using the pill and having unprotected sex, 
that in itself is a really big concern to me. STDs are a very big problem when it comes to your long-term hormone health and, and sexual or fertility, I should say, mm. and sexual function. Um, and w- these teens need to be using barrier methods. I don't care at any stage or phase of the menstrual cycle, they need to be using those if they are sexually active. So the, it doesn't it doesn't just stop with the pill. <laughs> it certainly doesn't mm. just, you can't just hand your teenager that and hope for the best, not at no. all. Um, and you know what? Pregnancies happen all the time, whether someone's on or off the pill, and the pill isn't as effective as we're led to believe. So again, let's not just put all our eggs in one basket. Let's understand our bodies better so we can prevent that. I've been using fertility awareness forever. I've mm. got two children. They were conceived the month that I tried for each of those, and I don't say that to boast. I no, say no, that 100%. because I say that because if I can't do that in my industry as a health professional, then how can I lead other people to do that? But also I know I'm highly fertile because I've looked after my body forever and I've never impacted that. So it should work properly and this is what we want for our teenagers. And, again, it's also part of the reason why I wrote this book was because if we can fix it before it's broken, yes, that changes the landscape for women's health altogether. If Forever. we fix it before it's like it's we're in dire straits and we're like, what do I do? And and you just said you've been looking after your body for such a long time for it to be able to do that for you be, to be able to conceive the way that you did. But, you know, so many women will, you know, have a really poor diet, no exercise, really high stress, and then just go, I just need a few acupuncture sessions and I'll be right. And it's no, like no. you need a lot more than acupuncture, babe. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say is too, you know, of course we don't want teen pregnancies, but if that was to happen, it's not the end of the world. Mm. <laughs> you know, you're not yeah. going to be banished to some camp in the middle of the outback. It's not 1912. No. And and I said to my husband not long ago, did you ever have anyone, do you remember any teen pregnancies in high school? And he, he couldn't. But I remember there were three for me um, when That's I was growing up. I can't remember. So I remember, though, I do remember three girls at school throughout various, um, I was, you know, various ages. And, (laughs) you know, come their 20s, they're back to living their best life because they've got teenagers. And I get that it's not ideal, but life went on and they made Mm. the best of that. And hell didn't freeze over. They got on with it and it's fine. It's okay. It's surely it's it's not what we're aiming for, but it's not the end of the world either. So, you know, it's again, it's just taking what life throws you and using that and shifting that mindset to to actually get what you want in life, not what you don't. Yeah. And as you said too, for parents not to be just so concerned about pregnancies, but also you, you know, the the STIs and the STDs and, yes. and using barrier methods and, and hormonal health long term, not just not getting pregnant, like sexual health, fertility, hormonal health has so much more to do than just, as you always say, it's more to do than just making babies. Absolutely. But what if I could actually 100% tell you that what you did in your teens affected the rest of your hormones, your hormone health for life? Now, it's very hard to get hard research and evidence on that, but let's just mm. let logic play out for a second here. What you do each and every Every day contributes to what's going to happen in the future. And so I think having this understanding and and really not just not just taking the quick fix, but learning why your body is responding to whatever you're subjecting it to. People mm-hmm. find it very difficult and confronting to learn that potentially their lifestyle up until this point has led them to whatever health they have. Yeah. Taking people find responsibility. That very, very confronting. And people say, How dare you say that my lifestyle has caused X, Y, or Z? And I'm like, It didn't just happen. You didn't mm. just wake up yesterday and have endometriosis. That has been a lifetime. Yeah. And it's not your fault necessarily. We don't know what we don't know. I'm not saying you should have done this or you should have done that. But I can tell you that what you've done each and every day up until now has led you to this point. Yeah. So let's make the be- the rest better. You know, we can make a choice as of today to make sure that we set ourselves up for the rest of our lives. And and we're not thinking about menopause when we're 15. No. <laughs> you know, and I get that. But if we can just have this overall understanding that it affects us forever and mm. we – I also – I see women that are in menopause for – might be 10 years and it's awful and it doesn't have to be that way so let's just keep looking at what's ahead I think that's really important and setting ourselves up for the long-term win Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad you brought up endometriosis because that was going to be my next question because you, you know, it's, it seems so common. Um, I 
I don't, I didn't have any endometriosis or PCOS, but it, it's so common. And I, I actually didn't know that it was a, a lifestyle thing because it makes sense that it build up over the years. But with women who have that are suffering from that, um, what can you tell them? Because I hear so many of them go, oh, I've got endo or PCOS, mm-hmm. I'm never going to get pregnant, particularly around my age, you know, people that are actively looking to fall pregnant. Mm-hmm. What can you say to them? Because I hear a lot of doom and gloom around it oh, uh, and there's no way yeah. to treat it and they're stuck with it basically. Okay. Well, first of all, everything is treatable. And if you're being told that you can't have a baby or you are infertile or that you have endometriosis or PCOS for that matter and you'll never have a baby, Run the other way because that person doesn't know what they're talking about. There's always a way. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of finding what your way is. There's, yeah. It might not be their way, but there's your way. So um, I hear this a lot when it comes to let's just put endo and PCOS in the same category. They're different illnesses, but yeah, we can I understand that. pretty yeah. much treat them very similarly. There's a few changes, but it's pretty similar in the way that we do it, from at least from the everyday approach. And I'll talk about sure. the everyday approach in a minute. Um, so, I mean, you have these conditions because genetically you're predisposed. So you can't change your genes. That's what you've been dealt. That's, you know, whether that's good, bad or otherwise, mm-hmm. that's what you've been served. But it, it's it's what we need to understand is it's then what we subject our genes to that plays out how, how they will act and behave. So if we are putting ourselves in an, in an environment where it's turning on all of the wrong things, let's say, mm-hmm. as a very broad way of talking about it, yeah. then your endometriosis is going to definitely be there and be exacerbated. Whereas if you are putting your body in an environment where you're turning off all of the things that are, are um, going to, to instigate the endo, then you're going to live a life free of endometriosis. It doesn't mean you don't have the genetic disposition, but you are allowing your body to behave in a way where it's not a problem. So, you know, it's like eczema or asthma or psoriasis or um, arthritis or mm-hmm. any of these conditions. We know they're auto- they're, they have an autoimmune element to them and we know that we can, we can definitely uh, lead the body in a, in a, on a path of, of, you know, again, it comes down to this cellular behaviour. How do you make your cells work to the best of their ability? So with that in mind, it's a bit like, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a bit like in year 12 or year 11 or whenever it was, you did a, an experiment and you had a Petri dish and you put some bacteria in there and you put the bacteria, one of them on the windowsill and the other one you put in an incubator. And when you looked at the one in the incubator, different things grew to what was on the windowsill. That's probably the best way I can describe what I'm trying yeah. to say here is that you can manipulate and influence how that what plays out here. And yeah. so... If it's something like endometriosis, let's just say, yep, okay, we, we've ticked off. We, we are genetically predisposed, but perhaps your diet is full of inflammatory foods. You smoke, you drink, you party, you don't sleep properly. Um, I can tell you that endometriosis is going to be the least of your problems because you've probably got awful skin. You probably have insomnia, weight gain. You've probably got lots of things going on outside of endometriosis, but that's that's probably what we're focused on. Um all of these things are going to make it worse. So it's a matter of going, all right, well, what do I need to tick off here? We need to look at nutrition. We need to look at inflammation. We probably need to look at how your body's regulating insulin. We need to look at your gut health. We need to look at your liver. We need to look at a lot of things, which sounds completely overwhelming. But can I say, it just starts with one thing. What's the one thing that I can do better so that I can get the ball rolling to actually create a better internal environment and the one thing you can definitely start with is your nutrition 100 percent if you do not have that right i remember listening to dr tom o'brien um i interviewed him in a podcast and he said nat food is either of benefit or deficit there is no in between it's either going to take your body exactly where it needs to go or exactly where it doesn't need to go and the choice is yours and i loved that and i use it all the time because it's such a powerful statement mm. but i think we like to think oh i can just get away with this or i can get away with that and you know there's so many layers to endo there's so many layers to pcos it's what you do each and every day i believe that actually counts most and this is this whole idea of the everyday i'm always teaching patients 
not what they do when they come in my office. It's actually what they do when they leave that counts the most. And so if I can get them on the right path nutritionally, if I can make sure their gut is working and if I can make sure their liver is regulating their hormones better, then that's a great start. But also we need to look at, and we can't dismiss this whole, whole hormone aspect of these conditions. They are generally driven by some type of hormone imbalance. So something like endometriosis is very much, yes, it's gut related, but it's also in response to excess estrogen in the body. So how do we lower estrogen? How do we get our bodies to detoxify estrogen better? And again, it comes down to the everyday. Are we subjecting our body to harsh chemicals that mimic estrogen every day? Are we um, putting our liver under strain and it's not detoxifying our, our estrogen properly? Um, how can we look at how we can better regulate estrogen for someone with endo I think is really important. And then something like PCOS, it's more more about how do we regulate um, insulin and testosterone or and androgens in the body. So, yes, it's it slightly changes, but the fundamental principles are still the same when it comes mm. to managing and overcoming these conditions. Oh, it's so fascinating what we can do with food. That what we choose to put in our bodies can have such a but we've moved huge past impact. that also because we think that there's a pill for that. It's like oh yeah. Well, don't worry if you've got excess estrogen, we can just you know you can take this or or if you've got excess testosterone, oh we'll take metformin that will fix it. No, that doesn't fix it. No, <laughs> that doesn't just fix masks it, at all. it for a while. Well, it, just, it might help your body regulate insulin better if you have PCOS. But the long-term yeah. effect of something like metformin is disastrous for the gut and then you're back where you started because if you're constantly yeah. wearing away at your gut health, you're going to find yourself in a pretty diabolical situation down the track where everything just comes back tenfold because that's, the, that's yeah. the epicenter. If that's not working properly and we're finding out more and more research around how our gut regulates our hormones, how it, it's responsible for hormone detoxification and clearing um, these hormones. So, I mean... This is just the tip of the iceberg, and I mm. I know we're going to continue to find out more, but we also have to use the information that we have for now and work that to our best advantage too. Excellent. And, and the information that we have now, I feel like I've heard it a lot, so I feel like it's like, you know, lower the know, inflammatory foods, you know, <laughs> lower the gluten, the gluten, the soy, the dairy, um, obviously the alcohol, all of that, load up on good, good um, gut health foods. Mm. But... Uh, is there, I know, obviously, as you mentioned, it can differ a little bit depending on what sort of condition you may be treating, but let's just, let's talk sort of like conception, pregnancy, postpartum is, do, do you need to eat quite different, um, for each of those stages in your life or, cause <laughs> I mean, my first trimester was, as you would know, you were one of the first people I texted and went, Oh my God, I want to have McDonald's. Can I tell What's you, I feel like you've me? been pregnant forever already because I mean, and I find <laughs> this with everybody because everybody has this and I love it it's this innate need to tell me that they're pregnant and and I know before not everybody else in your life but I often know really early and I'm very good at keeping yeah. secrets so that's nice yes. um but um no so here's what I would say to you is that and I talk about this in my my previous book well and good I dive right into the nutrition around hormones mm-hmm. because what your hormones fundamentally need doesn't change whether you're 16 or 66. Your hormones are made of fat and protein or cholesterol. We must have fat and protein at every meal to be able to provide our body with the backbone to make our hormones. And then, of course, we need to we can drill it down in terms of macronutrients and look at all the particulars that we need, mm-hmm. you know, antioxidants and all the vitamins and minerals, and that's very important. But it doesn't really change. In fact, it doesn't change whether you want to be fertile, fit, or just feel amazing. It's all the one and the yeah, same. Wow. So okay. I think when we look at this, and you know, we're all slightly different, and what works for one is going to be slightly different to the next, and that's going to of be course. genetic. And and you know, some people thrive on a plant based diet, and others don't. And this can be a confronting conversation for vegans, especially because I can have women come into the clinic and be vegan and full of acne and full of endometriosis and and I'll and I'll say yep I hate to break it to you but it's actually just not working for you because constitutionally you are that person that needs those amino acids that are found in meat and meat only and you know how do you that that is a hard conversation to have because often vegans are that way because of ethical reasons of course um and so you know we have to have some pretty full-on conversations around that but 
you know, there are mm. there are definitely vegans out there that their body loves them for that. Yeah. And and so, you know, again though, it doesn't still change. You need fat and protein at every meal. You need to be making sure that you're getting the the right vitamins and minerals at every meal. Um but just the 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 foods might change slightly and Again, you know, we can you can drill right into this. You can start to look at what you're intolerant to and and what you might be allergic to and 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 all of that. But I think if you if you sort of bring it back to always supporting the gut, making sure it's performing optimally and providing the right nutrition, you really can't go wrong. Mm. And and with gut health too, I'd love to ask this question. I get confused about prebiotics, probiotics. Should we be having them in food form or should we be taking a capsule like is, or is it just different for everybody? I'm all about sustainability and I think for the average person we need to do this through our diet. Um, we can use specific bacteria strains to help with specific conditions um, mm -hmm. but for the everyday approach we need to eat this. I don't think it's sustainable for okay. the rest of our lives to rely on a supplement. Um, okay. Besides maybe magnesium, and that's, again, because we stuffed our soils up so much that they don't actually contain enough magnesium to meet our daily requirements. So I think for something like our, our prebiotics actually become just as important, if not more important than probiotics. So probiotics are the good bacteria. Prebiotics are the foods that help the bacteria to grow. So, right. you know, we're not taught this. We're like, oh, well, no. there's a supplement for that and there's a supplement for that. And so if we look at the food equivalents, prebiotics, Google it. It's a list of foods that asparagus, artichokes, onions, slippery elm, psyllium, um, there's a big long list of these foods. They help to continue to nourish the environment, this the, the microbiome, much like you need to feed the soil. If you've got a pot plant and you're not feeding mm. that soil, it doesn't have the ability to do that unless you are actually providing it with the right nutrients. So we need wow. to be looking at that. So those foods and then our, our probiotics are the fermented foods. And depending on your health, there's certain strains that'll be better for certain people um and 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 again if you are having a reaction to these things we need to look at why so for some people having these foods is a disaster in this moment because mm. their gut can't handle it but why is that and how do we repair and and and, yeah. and help them recover from that so again your body's always talking to you and what's it telling us so yes. pre and probiotic foods are really really important um in maintaining a healthy digestive system and then the other bit that gets forgotten so often is gut permeability so how nice and tightly packed are your cells of your gut it's only one cell deep it's very very thin and we need to make sure that they are nice and tightly packed together because when they're not we can have this inflammatory and autoimmune response because things are moving outside of the digestive system through the little cracks and gaps. Is that gaps. leaky gut? Is yeah. that when that would happen? And, you know, yeah. we love terms. We're like, like, oh, I have leaky gut. It's like, well, probably the whole population to some degree has leaky mm. gut at various okay. times. Um, so there's two aspects to the gut line and you want to make sure that it's free of like tears or inflammation, um, much like if you cut yourself. If, 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 this, if your microbiome isn't lining your gut properly, it's going to be exposed to things that it shouldn't be and, and damaged by, um, you know, abrasive foods, gluten, sugar, dairy, these sorts of things. Um, and so making sure that, yeah, your microbiome is nice and, and um, rich and also then looking at your gut wall. So the way that we strengthen the junctions of the cells of the gut uh, is through collagen and gelatin, which is why it's such a challenge for vegans um, is because these these foods are, are generally those that are meat um, meat products, you know, slow-cooked mm. soups, stews, broths. These foods are rich in yeah. collagen because you've cooked it with the bone and the marrow is what contains that. So when you're cooking it, you know, all together and for a long period of time, that richness comes into it. It's a bit, you've cooked a chicken before and, and sat it on the bench and come back later and there's all that jelly sitting around the outside of it. Mm. That's that component that we need to, to be eating. Need. And we're, we're all eating this food, but we're probably not mindfully eating this food. So, yeah. you know, you might think to yourself, oh, I haven't had any prebiotic foods all week. I haven't had any asparagus. I haven't. So all of a sudden, just being able to manipulate your diet to including this can really be a big, big game changer. Yeah. And would you say to do that every day, pre and probiotics in a food form? I say to patients, a small amount every day is great. 
Um, okay. And, and to, you know, a jar of sauerkraut, for example, I'm led to believe has around 50 strains at least of bacteria. And then it changes over time as well, the longer it's there. Mm. A probiotic that you buy over the counter might have three. So, yeah. you, know, okay. you know, looking at our food as medicine, I think I think using specific strains to treat a problem is very different from using it long term. Yeah. And so we need to always come back to nutrition for that long term sustainability when it comes to our health. I think yeah. using it as a as a something that can tweak the system is really yeah. great, but then the long term we can come back and rely on food. So um, awesome. Every day, every second day, I don't like to get too stressed around this stuff. I kind of just include it when you think about it. Um, but don't mm-hmm. go hell for leather either. I, you know, if you go and sit there and eat a whole jar of sauerkraut, you're going to pre- feel pretty awful. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I get patients to be having, you know, I talk in teaspoons. Half I start them with teaspoon, half a teaspoon yeah. and then I move them onto a teaspoon when they can handle it. It's a condiment. It's not yeah. a meal. So, you know, yeah. something on, on the side. Um yeah. Can, can but it's it's completely nourishing. So including these mm. foods is really important. And just while we're on the topic of food, because it's such a favorite topic of mine, you have got some incredible recipes. I love the the nutrition part in in Beautiful You. But if you could give me your top breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like quick, easy, you know, beautifully nutritionally balanced meals um, for hormonal health, what would they be? <laughs> okay, so well, so I I actually these days I'm a mad fan of fasting, and I know you've dabbled in that as well. So, oh, I love it. I just can't do it I now. <laughs> talk about it in terms of first meal of the day because my breakfast probably looks very different from other people's breakfast because it's really sure. just my first meal yep. of the day, and it usually is around lunchtime. Um, yeah, I would most days alternate between a beautiful piece of salmon and a salad Mm, um, as opposed to that's one of my quick goes to. Otherwise, I am that person that orders all the sides on the menu. (laughs) So I'll be like, I'll have (laughs) a side of avocado, um, a side of kimchi, a side of some type of (laughs) meat protein and Sometimes I'll add in some halloumi or something for good measure. So I'm that person that adds all the sides in because I don't eat a lot of um, grains or gluten. I have some, but I reserve those Mm -hmm. for after exercise because um, I've really learnt that my body responds best um, when it has those for recovery and it kind of doesn't need them at any other time, and that's me. Um, Yep. Um, so yeah, I find that I find that that's working really well for me. So that might be lunch, um, and then dinner will. Um, uh, let me think about our go tos for dinner. It'll just be literally very boring. It'll be meat and meat and and um, plants. <laughs> so yeah. you know, um, whatever that looks like on any given day, I might make some Keep beautiful. It simple. Yeah, I, we really do. We eat um, very much the same thing on repeat. You know what's interesting? As we survive and live through Christmas and we have all this food that we wouldn't ordinarily eat and it's really Mm. hard to stop because the richness of those foods we keep on craving, the the blander that we can keep our diet, the healthier we will be and the less likely we are to crave those other foods. So um, I've learned to keep it quite similar and and it, but it's still freaking delicious, and I love mm. the simplicity. So you know, I try and keep things very simple but consistent. Um, so you know, it might look like meatballs with a spiralized zucchini and avocado, for example. That's a common yeah. one for us, um, and that's awesome. also because my mother-in-law often makes meatballs. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> yeah. I, and, and, and I will, I will always work smarter and not harder. I, I have it's really fun interacting with people on Instagram, but. A lot of people get very stressed out about my lack of routine around food. They'll be like, what do you mean you don't plan dinners? And I'm like, well, you know, it's often I'll just go with what I feel like. You know, what do I feel like? Would I like salmon today? Would I like meat today? Would I like, you know. So, I, again, yeah. so long as it's ticking those boxes of um, fat and protein, I kind of don't have a rigid system with that. But it will always yeah. be very heavy when it comes to plants I, I i prefer to eat warm cooked foods over salads my gut doesn't really love 
a lot of cold raw food. I can get away with it a little mm. bit more in summer. Um, but so yes. it will often look like broccoli, Brussels sprouts with um, avocado, nuts and seeds and some olive oil. You know, that's a common yeah, nice. thing for me. Um, yeah. We'll probably have that four times a week alongside some meat. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm a meal planner. If I don't meal plan, I will I'll blow out and eat something and Uber Eats and do something that I, right. I, I just won't be so I happy totally with. Get it. I totally and it's been you know what's interesting around that is I used to be that person and now as the mm. kids have gotten older and I'm probably working a little bit more than I ever have, um, and often Chris now cooks our dinner, I've had to it's one thing I've had to surrender to and it took me a really long mm. time to be okay with it. Um yeah. and but I am really okay with it now. I'm like, you know what, actually yeah. We always we have our go tos, like I said, and yes. one of those versions of three or four things, and that makes it easy. Um, yes, but I'm the opposite. If I meal plan, I waste food. It just doesn't get cooked. So I've actually had to surrender uh, to that as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. It's funny how you know, like, what, there's not one way that works for everyone. But as long as what you're getting in on your plate is nutritious and delicious, then doesn't really matter how it gets Absolutely, there, right? Absolutely, totally. But yeah, I had to really surrender to this, and and it's really interesting. I, I a lot of people, I think it's they find it confronting when they look at my my way of eating. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, it's obviously working for you. Yeah, <laughs> That's totally. for sure. Oh my gosh, Nat, I feel like I could ask you a gazillion more questions. So I think we're going to have to get you back. <laughs> anytime, anytime. I would but love to. That was such a pleasure. And your book, Beautiful You, is available now. And I'll put all the links Thank to that you. in the show notes. Um, but just one last thing if there is anything that my listeners could do for you somehow to repay you for all your amazing wisdom and knowledge that you've shared with us today, what would you have oh. them do? Thank you for asking that question. Um, I made a really bold statement at the end of last year and I said I would like Beautiful You to be in the hands of 50,000 young women by by the end of 2020. Stuff oh, knows yes. how I'm going to make that happen. So we'll we'll do it. <laughs> I, my biggest dream is that this book finds its way into the education system and that it's in schools. Oh, and I've yes. I've maintained this since I started writing it five years ago. So if anyone has the ability to help me make that happen, I've written it in such a way that it's just the facts. I'm not. I went to a, a Catholic high school. I get what you can and can't say, and I know that that. But that conversation also needs to change. But you know, my yes, my biggest. Of my biggest ask would be help me make that happen. Um, I would be, that would just be a, a, a dream come true. Well, listeners, <laughs> no pressure. consider yourself all challenged. <laughs> no pressure, but we're going to get this book into the hands of 50,000 young women. I've got women. two years Again, to do it. I think that's that we can do this. Yes. Yeah, that's easy. That's easy. <laughs> that's so good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. What an amazing episode. I hope you got so much out of that. I was busy scribbling notes the whole time that Nat was talking. And if you would love to help her fulfill her goal of getting Beautiful You in the hands of 50,000 people by the end of next year, please head to my website to see the show notes and get all of the details on where you can purchase Beautiful You. Anything else we spoke about will be in the show notes. So just head to NicoleJoyInspire.com forward slash podcast and click on episode three. As always, if you feel like this episode would really benefit someone, please share it with them. If you're feeling so inclined, head over to iTunes to leave me a review. That would be amazing. And I cannot wait to bring you next week's episode.